Hi, everybody. My name is Mike Manning. And I'm Trinity French. And we are your business coaches at Wired to Change. With the number two. We are here to help you get your business to the level you want it to be so you can enjoy the life of a small business owner. Welcome back to the Small Business World, folks. Uh, Going solo today, Trinity had a lot of business pop up, and we always tell people money comes first. The play and the other stuff comes later. So just me in the studio today, the Purple Comma Studios, but our guest in studio is James Evans. couple things for James. President of American Frontier. We'll get to that. But I like best-selling number one Amazon author. Welcome to the show, James. Well, thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Let's talk about the book first, On Thin Ice. What was the genesis of this idea? Um, it started, I was actually uh, approached by this publisher. Um, the publisher is closely related to a, a marketing company that we use. Uh, and, uh, they were looking to do another cybersecurity book and had asked for some potential authors, you know, who, uh, who's on, who would be a good candidate to do this kind of stuff. And I was approached with the project and said, and, uh, at first I thought, well, I don't know if I have time to write a whole book. I've never written anything before. <laughs> and they told me, well, you know, if we found you a co-author and you only had to write half a book, how about that? Well, that might be better. Well, what, if, what if we put together a small team? What if, there, <laughs> what if there were four of you and you only had to write a quarter of a book? Okay, well, I could probably handle that. And, and that was kind of the genesis uh, of this project. Uh Things changed a little bit come March. This this was originally around yeah. January. So by March, when the shutdowns occurred and everything else, we uh, we saw what was going on with uh, the shutdowns and especially both the publisher and our marketing company. They, they both do fundraising for St. Jude Children's Hospital. Yep. And so in one of our project calls about the book, you know, we went off topic and started talking about that and how St. Jude had just had to cancel uh, entire summer's worth of in-person fundraising efforts and, you know, what are they going to do? So at that point we decided then and there, so, you know what, let's donate the royalties for this book to the St. Jude Foundation. Well, and you knew with the topic being cybersecurity, which probably is good for four more books, at least with the knowledge <laughs> of the things you guys have done, but that's a very hot topic right now. And so glad the benefits, the proceeds are going to St. Jude's. It's wonderful. We'll get back to a little bit on that, how that tie-in came about. But cybersecurity today, we hear some truths, some myths about this and that's involved, and this could happen, that could happen. But I want to focus on the small business owner and some tips and things we need to worry about. First of all, American Frontier uh, you guys provide IT solutions to small and mid-sized businesses, so you certainly know what you're doing. Company's been around since '96. I think a few things have changed, right? Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, back in '96, people were on the internet. No, nobody knew what a firewall was. No. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was both the wild west, but it was also a very innocent time. So uh, when you started seeing your first junk emails, it was, whoa, what is that? You know. Uh, so, so different than what we have today. Uh, the threats have evolved. Um, nowadays, we have two major types of threats out there, and that is the commercial cybercrime um, and the nation-state cybercrime. Um, nation-states are going after 
large corporations for intellectual property and going after government agencies. We just saw it was announced in December, basically the largest hack of all time yeah. with uh, the SolarWinds hack. But the uh, commercial cybercrime is a huge, huge business. This is modern organized crime. People are making a living off of hacking now, which, yes. like I said, back in the wild, wild west, it, I'm sure people were toying around with jumping into other people's stuff. But I don't think they realize how much money can be made through this. Yeah, they, they hadn't found a way to monetize it. Um, actually, in the book, in the very first chapter, we talk about a little bit of history and the uh, the first uh, computer virus, basically. And uh, it was just researchers, you know, try, who figured out how to make computers talk to one another and figured out how to make computers um, transmit data to one another and kind of stumbled across this thing. And then they had to create the first antivirus to go clean up the mess that they made. Um, but it was all innocent research back then versus today. Yeah, it's very much big business. Let's start with the small business owners, the solopreneur types like myself, that there's many of us that work out of the house. Mm -hmm we're probably violating some things we haven't thought about yet as far as not looking at protecting everything. Yeah, the biggest thing for the solopreneur, uh, especially the, those of you working out of the home or having a small office, is password management. Um, that is the one thing that, that we see all the time. Uh, people have this tendency to use the same passwords over and over or minor variations on the theme using the same passwords on multiple websites. And if that password gets discovered through a breach somewhere, you're exposed. So one thing we do are uh, dark web scans where we see what's out there. And it's very typical for, for us to find for small business owners, there was a breach of LinkedIn about five years ago. And we have those credentials where it's LinkedIn uh, username, which is an email address and a password. And we regularly find that we present that to someone, they say, oh, my God, I still use that password. <laughs> and they haven't changed it in years. And may, maybe they've changed it on LinkedIn, but they use it other places. They might use it on their business email. So the, the exact things you need to compromise them, the email address and the password, it's just out there. The assumption we make is, well, that's not what I use for my bank account, so they can't get to my money. They can have my LinkedIn log in and, and post whatever they want, but that's not true. That's not correct thinking, is it? Right. Um, there are those accounts you forgot about. It may not be the bank account, but if they can get into your email, they can learn a whole lot about you. Uh, worse, they can find out about all your customers that you're interacting with, your business partners, vendors, and that's what we call a, a business email compromise. So then they start pretending to be you, using your email address and that relationship you've built in order to distribute malware and spread their attacks to other parties. We also are probably not protected enough on our Wi-Fi. Yeah, Wi-Fi is a tricky thing. Um, the best Wi-Fi protection is complicated to implement. Um, the stuff that we have in, in your typical home or small office scenario where you have a single password that everyone uses. If there's multiple people using that, if you have a former employee who leaves and you don't change it, mm. 
as as you get larger and larger as a company, it doesn't take that many employees where you have a, a, a certain degree of turnover and changing that password every time someone cha- someone leaves just starts to not happen. That would make sense because we get your ID badge, we get your key, we get whatever else from you to get into the building, but we don't even think about the security of the of the computer system, do we? Right, and and that Wi-Fi <laughs> extends beyond the building, um, so it'll work from the parking lot. Um, yeah. If you're working from home, it'll work from the street corner, you know, or uh, you might notice someone in your driveway, but but you might not notice them parked out on the street. Mm-hmm. The clients you work with, let's say they have somebody that was that left for whatever reason yesterday. What do you ask them to do once that person walks out the door with regard to that? You should have a process. Um, it's an offboarding process for all the things that need to be changed. Um, and it's, it's a little bit part of corporate culture or your company culture to have good processes around cybersecurity that integrate with all your other business processes. So just like you would go to the HR department and HR is going to have a a process Mm -hmm. for stopping payments so they they don't keep getting a salary (laughs) after they're no longer employed, Uh, canceling any sort of benefits, paying out um, accrued uh, vacation times or any of those types of things. So part of that process needs to include what happens on the IT side. Is it di- uh, disabling email, disabling other accounts, and are there shared resources? Uh, nowadays with the cloud, we have this little thing that we call shadow IT, which is where even for a large company that has an IT department, any employee can go out and just buy a cloud service, put in their company credit card, and they're, they're a service out there that's got company information on it. If you don't have a handle on that stuff, when that person leaves, who, who else knows how to go deactivate those accounts? And for how long does that individual have access to that company information? There are millions, I think it's a safe number of people right now, and we are laughing last week, we have no idea where we are on the arc of COVID, so I've stopped guessing and saying we're, we're somewhere on the arc. What are some things they need to think about with their employees who are working remotely? Uh, that that's definitely requires a, a risk assessment of some sort. You've got to think about what data those folks have and what systems they have access to. And... Um, Traditionally, IT has been very concerned with what's happening about what's happening in the office. And uh, you you can think of it as the castle. You know, you go through, you build the moat. You've got all the defenses for the castle. Nobody's in the castle right now. And no one's been in the castle for Mm -hmm. almost a year now. So when this transition first happened for companies that didn't already have large work-from-home programs. They, they made a lot of mistakes in making the transition and doing it in insecure ways, um, exposing too much data, uh, being in a mad rush to get things onto public cloud services and not securing them. Uh, those types of things are coming home to roost. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the password management. Here's my thought process. <clears throat> I'm assuming I'm not alone, but I don't know if I'm, if I'm 
in the majority or the, or the minority. We think we're doing good if we have a number, some word or name, and an, uh, a punctuation mark, which is better than just Mike in the day, the year, the year you're born. Right. right. So at least we've got three elements in there, mm-hmm. but that's not enough. Mike, and I've had this conversation with other people before because when we log into a site somewhere, when we register somewhere and they ask for your password and then they recommend a password that's got 22 characters, none of them <laughs> go together and they say, we recommend you use this. How do we remember that? Yeah, it's impossible for them all to rem- be remembered. So you should use a, a password manager and there's several of them out there. There's a freebie out there called LastPass, L-A-S-T-P-A-S-S. It works quite well. Uh, They have mobile device versions and uh, desktop versions. It has browser plugins so that it can automatically uh, put those credentials into websites for you and also uh, help you generate those passwords. It's got a secure password generator where you can set it for 22 characters with lots of... uh, punctuation and things like that. And it'll generate completely unpronounceable gobbledygook that you will never use again. We were talking, I forget who we were talking with and it never, well, again, don't know if I'm what group I'm in, but it never really dawned on me to use a phrase because we always think of a name, a city, a pet name instead of, I love Buffalo chicken. You yes. were talking about that. You had for lunch, <laughs> which would be a great password, wouldn't it? Yes. And uh, I, I've seen some good ones. Um, I, I started at a company many years ago where the uh, previous administrator ha- had created a password that was to the effect of, ouch, my toe hurts. <laughs> Um, with, you know, various letters deleted and stuff like that. But, but it was, but it was easy to remember, you know, you just had to remember that when you were typing it, it didn't actually have the U in it. And I I don't remember exactly, you know, what letters were substituted for numbers and things like that. Uh, personally, I recommend try to come up with something that's not just a phrase because people will have this tendency to pick, uh, a sentence, a quote, for Mm -hmm. example, a famous quote or a famous line from a book. Um, if it's famous, it's in someone's database. Yeah. So it, it's not always easy to do, but but try to come up with something that's just a complete non sequitur. One that I used to use uh, for our guest Wi-Fi was horse battery. <laughs> do horses yep. run on batteries? I, no. no. I mean, why would anyone ever put those two words together? Yeah. And uh, I got a lot of strange looks when we would give that to people as, as a uh, as a guest. Like what? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was something that was not that hard to remember, but still just very random. The hackers are looking to get leverage. They, If you have a small, if you're James Evans CPA and you are one-man shop and you've got enough clients, they're going to go in there to grab your information for 12, 24 hours and say, send us Bitcoin, this amount in Bitcoin or something like that, or we don't give you your information back. Yeah. A, a lot of those, uh, those, those types of breaches, they actually take a little longer than that. Um, those usually start with what's called a phishing email where it's called phishing because they're looking for you to take the bait. They have emailed you 
a piece of malware or um, some sort of instructions, go to this website. It's a fake email that looks like it came from your bank or from your CPA. Um, recently seen ones about PPP loans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently saw one uh, that was important information about your recent COVID test. That was the subject line. Those are my, yeah, that's along the lines of the IRS tells you to call them. You explain to the our parents that are elderly, the, there's no number to call the IRS. Exactly. So do Your COVID test, and you would think it would stop for a minute and go, I haven't had a COVID test. Well, but right now, how, when they send out 100 million of those emails, oh, yeah. how many of them are they going to hit someone who just had a COVID test? Enough to make a nice living, right? Exactly. And <laughs> enough to get people to click on that link or yeah. click on that attachment and run some piece of malware. Those hackers, if they're looking for the solo or the very small CPA type or somebody with information, their business is built on information. Right. How much money are they looking for? Um, that varies. The, the first piece of ransomware I saw back in probably 2016 or so, they were looking for 300 bucks. Um, last year, Garmin got hit by ransomware and the ransom they were asked for was $10 million. So, Ransomware has really ballooned in the amount of money. Um, they they will judge it. They will look at how much data that they've gotten hold of. Yeah. And that's the new thing about ransomware. Old school ransomware just encrypted your data. New ransomware makes a copy. They get your data, then they encrypt. Ooh. Which is why it takes a little longer. So you get you get the malware, they start stealing your data first. Once they have it, then they flip the switch on the encryption. Or what does the email say if somebody's trying to get trying to pull this on you? Um, it, it won't be the ransom request won't be in an email. That that will be something that pops up on the screen on your computer because okay. the ransomware delivers that message. Then what's the next step for that business owner? They need to call their IT department, whether that's in-house IT or whether that's someone they've contracted with support with support. And uh, they're going to tell you what what to do next. For every business, it's different because everyone's under different regulatory requirements, different legal requirements. If you're a a doctor's office, a dentist's office, someone who's under HIPAA, well, you've got federal and state regulations you've got to deal with. If you're in finance, you've got specifics there. If you're a publicly traded company, uh, you've got socks. So... It really depends on what business you're in, exactly what your response plan needs to be. But typically, call number one goes to your IT department or your IT support, and call number two is to your attorney. Can you beat them without paying them? Yes. Um, usually, the core of that, if you've already been hit with ransomware, if your stuff is encrypted, it's all about having a good backup. That was my next question, so just carry on. <laughs> yep. So if you've got a good, solid backup, um, you, you can restore from that and, and ignore the ransom. The thing that people are concerned with now with the new ransomware is they still got the data. Yep. yep. So what are they going to do with it? Are they going to sell it? Are they going to post it somewhere? Are they? Is, is the threat just that, hey, you can't use your data or is the threat now extortion of the form? Well, we're going to, you know, ruin your business's reputation unless you pay us. 
man, that's got to be a sinking feeling. Then you have to make a corporate decision. Exactly. <clears throat> because you don't know. Even, let's say, at, did Garmin pay the $10 million? From what I understand, Garmin paid something. Um, no one's ever disclosed exactly what the amount is. Uh, some of these folks are up for some negotiating. <laughs> I would imagine they'd come down to seven and a half for a payday, right? I, I would I, think so. Yeah. Then you have to trust them, <laughs> right? You have to trust the criminals, <laughs> which is why I don't ever recommend uh, paying the ransom because what, what guarantee that do you have? Yeah. Um, for folks who have no backups and have no other choice, you know, maybe you have to pay it at least to get your data back. But when it comes to the reputational damage or what they might have done with the data that they've stolen, you, you've got no guarantees at all. All right, let's go simple steps here. What somebody listening does not have their information backed up. What are the first couple steps for them to start doing? Get a backup. <laughs> I mean, it's it sounds it sounds pretty obvious, but th but that is huge. If you don't have a backup, we're not just talking about cybersecurity. We're talking about just equipment failure. Uh, if you don't have a backup, you know, hardware fails. You know, if your hard drive blows up, okay, your data's gone. So you should have a backup for many reasons beyond just cybersecurity. Um, once you have that in place. Uh, also, we talked about passwords, making sure you've got password management in place. For the solopreneur, um, that, those are your places to start. As your company gets larger and you can start devoting some resources into IT, uh, there are a lot of controls that can be put into place. Enhanced protection on, uh, on the endpoints, which are your end devices, your PCs and stuff like that. There's a variety of different types of what used to be antivirus software. Now we have antivirus on steroids, which is called EDR. Um, additional layers of backups and frequency of backups. Um, there are two main metrics for backups that we look at, and that's the recovery point and the recovery time, which basically means if all your data disappeared right now, how far back do you have to go? That's your recovery point. So how much work do you have to redo? And recovery time, how long does it take to restore? So those are two metrics that you might start out with being having some fairly large gaps. But as you invest more in the technology, you can close those gaps. So there's less risk when something does happen. So if I've got a business with <clears throat> five uh, less than 10 people mm -hmm. and I got four still in the office and everybody else is remote, What's do I go to Best Buy and buy a backup? Do I put it on the cloud? What do I do there? It's a good idea to use a cloud based backup in that scenario because you want to be able to get the data off site um, if something happens to that location. So, I mean, we're here in an office right now. If, if a fire broke out in this office mm -hmm. and this was the only location, if you had a server here and your backup sitting next to it, both burn or both get water damaged. But the same thing can happen with any kind of disaster. Um, so having that um, having that backup be off-site and disconnected. You know, ransomware is another fine example where if the backup is on the network and the ransomware can get to it, it can encrypt the backup. Who owns the cloud? 
what is the cloud is a better question. Um, <laughs> I figure Amazon <laughs> or uh, Facebook or somebody like that owns it. I just don't know who. Um, it's it's just like saying who owns the internet. It, it's a collection of of companies. Okay. You know, there there's no there's no one in particular. Cloud is more of a marketing term than a technology term, um, and it means a lot of different things to different people depending on what side of it they come from. Um, we are a cloud provider. You know, we have a data center in Apex, and we offer disaster recovery services right there. So you could do a cloud backup for your business, and it's in our cloud. That's not Amazon's. That's not Azure or any of those other folks. Um, but the big providers, yeah, you've got your Googles, your Amazons, your Microsofts, um, all of those big names that you hear about all the time. Uh, the, they own the market share. There's a ton of people that think they got cool stuff. I, hey, well, I can open my garage. Watch this. Come over here. James, come over here. I'm going to show you on my phone how I can open my garage door. I'm changing the setting on my refrigerator. But that's another way in the in into your world, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, it's like we talked about earlier about the, uh, the castle with the moat around it. Well, now you've got all these other devices, and these devices are collectively known as the Internet of Things or IoT, if you see that mentioned online somewhere. And if one of those devices has a breach which there have been several recently. Um, there have been a bunch of security cameras had a breach a few years ago. I think there's recently been a breach with ring doorbells. There's been a breach through Nest thermostats in the past. If these things allow an attacker to get past the moat and into the castle, well, now they can access any of the other devices inside. And to go back to your uh, solopreneurs and, and small businesses, there's usually not a lot of controls inside the perimeter. So once you're there, everything can talk to everyone. Um, this poses a real issue for the remote workers now. So you've got um, your kids, potentially, they've got PCs and other devices. And ha have they downloaded some sort of malware? Is there something already in the house that's a threat? And now that's where everyone's working, too. So you bring the work PC into that environment. Does that make it vulnerable? Yeah, potentially. It's it's a big issue. And people want to brag about that. So this is coming where literally everything in the house can be done from your phone mm -hmm. or your computer while you're on that vacation that you publicized for a week and a half that you were going on that we talked about. Because Te technology in the wrong hands is not good, but how do you stop that breach of getting into the castle? Uh, that That's a challenge. That That is the biggest challenge of, of IoT. Um, if those devices are not um, firewalled, controlled some sort of way, especially in business environments, uh, that can produce some serious risk. How do I know if my ring doorbell does not have a good firewall? Well, that's the issue. You really don't. These things are so new. The whole IoT movement is a very new thing. For, again, in business environments, uh, I would place those devices, you know, for our customers who have IP surveillance in their office, that is a different network than the network that their credit card processing is going to be on. We keep those things isolated. Um, doing that in the home, that's something that people are still trying to figure out because the cost and complexity of doing that, and then it, if you 
ratchet down those controls enough, it totally defeats the purpose of even having the technology. If it can't talk to your network, you can't control the garage door. Mm. So wasn't that the point of why you bought the thing? <laughs> All right, we're going to come back to some of the cybersecurity stuff in a minute. Uh, your, your background is uh, interesting. You had to have started piddling with computers way back when. Yes. When and who'd you get that from? Uh, it was very early. Um, so when I was in approximately second grade, I took some kind of test in school. I don't know what. <laughs> I certainly don't remember it. Uh, but uh, they they said from this testing that uh, I, I might benefit or maybe it was an aptitude thing. Whatever it was, my father liked the results, and he decided that, that he would get me a uh, Radio Shack TRS-80 computer. Yep. And that was my, uh, my first foray into computers. And um, my father was interesting. Um, he didn't get much in the way of accessories. What he did get me were books. So anything that I needed that computer to do, I had to pick up the book and type <laughs> in the program. So two days later, I could hit type run and see what the result was. He, he figured at the bare minimum, I would learn to type. Um, but uh, necessity being the mother of invention and people being naturally lazy, I started looking at all these lines of code and said, do I need to type all this? What does this do? And the first thing I learned was uh, the programming language in the days was basic. And... Uh, there were a bunch of lines in all these programs that started R-E-M. R-E-M, what's that? Remark. It doesn't actually do anything. I don't have to type those. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this would have been eight, 1982. I was in college. And the girl I was dating at the time, hi, Cindy, still friends, was, I think it was a COBOL class. Mm -hmm. And she had cards thousands of cards with little punch marks in them mm -hmm. and she'd do whatever she needed to do because i'd go with her some evenings to the computer lab she would walk over the desk hand it to james working behind the counter you would put it in whatever machine you ran it in and here's a printout and she you hand it back to her and she goes page by page and circles what was wrong you have to fix it and over and over again and mm -hmm. i thought god i hope i never have to deal with computers <laughs> Yep. Luckily, I, I missed the punch card phase. Um, oh, boy. That, that was a little before me, but I've heard about it. And, and the worst thing in the world is when you have that st big stack of cards and you trip and you drop mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And it's just, okay, whatever it was, just throw it away, start over. Yeah. You know, you'll never get them back into order again. <laughs> yeah, and she knew that I really liked her because I was sitting in computer lab at 10 o'clock at night. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, really? What? One, one card's out of order? <laughs> Jeez, what a mess. Yep. You, uh, like you said, we talked about the book. Uh, your, I think it was your company you worked with before this, Dane Bramage. Ah, uh, Dane Bramage, yes. There's, I think I know how that name came about, but I'd love to hear the story. Um, well, I, th I thought I was being very creative with the name. That's, that's <laughs> something that uh, my next door neighbor and I um, used to talk, used to, I, I don't even remember exactly how it came about. We were 10, 10, 11 years old, and we started talking about the, the Dane Bramage. Um, later, you know, I think it might have been related to, to Bill Cosby's stand-up because he had his brain, brain damaged children bit, 
that might have influenced it. I really don't remember, though. You know, that's, that's been a long time. And uh, it was just a word I always thought was funny, so I, I decided to, to use that when I started uh, Dane Bramage. And it was available. Yes, it was. Back in, uh, that might have still been in the 90s. So there, your time. There, 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 were lots of, uh, there were lots of names available back then. Well, that was before Bill and Ted's Adventure came <laughs> out. So before some of those movies came out, they probably did use that word. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, Dame Bramage was an internet radio station that I started. And again, I started that in about 96. So definitely way ahead of its time. And the plan with that was what? And let's back up. We'll get that question. Explain what the early internet radio stations were. Um, so when I started Dane Bramage, it was, again, necessities, the mother of invention. I was running another business. I was running an internet service provider. I had a uh, office in Research Triangle Park. And we had a radio in the office that picked up exactly one radio station. And it was uh, G105, if I remember correctly, which is a top 40 station. Mm -hmm. So the same songs over and over and over and over and over again until you wanted to throw the radio out the window. And so I came up with this idea that there's just got to be a way for me to get that CD collection at home over to the office without physically bringing them <laughs> over. Which would have been the easier thing to do, right? <laughs> well, you know, if you've already started an ISP, you know, you, you're already down a certain road. Um, and this, uh, at the time, there was this new company called Real Audio that had just come out with this new concept of being able to stream files. And uh, it turned out with some finagling, some, uh, some cables, some duct tape, I was able to connect a uh, CD changer uh, the output of the CD changer to the input of a computer and uh, actually get a direct stream from my home over ISDN lines to the office and listen to my CDs. And how many other people could hear it and from how far away? Uh, anywhere on the Internet, as long as you had enough bandwidth, which no one did back then. Um, I was able to – I was – doing it at that time with 56K, which if you had a 56K modem, you, you you did not have the additional headroom there to do it. So if you had dial-up, you could not listen. And everyone in the 90s had dial-up. Do you still remember your uh, MySpace account? I never set one up. <laughs> <laughs> at, at that point, ah, social media, bah, these yeah. kids today. <laughs> Are you active on social media? Uh, yeah, but not uh, not terribly active. Uh, it's it's more about uh, activity for the business. Um, for when it comes to personal stuff for social media, no, I don't do a whole lot. But for interacting with customers, uh, definitely we, we use it. I'm always amazed at the people that announce on Facebook, I'm going on vacation this weekend. I cannot wait. We're going on a cruise to Cozumel. You're just begging people to go, ooh, let me dig a little deeper into that. Yes, that's that's actually another very good cybersecurity tip of don't overshare. And people do this on social media, but th there's a worse place to do it. Um, so little story, a few years back, I, I was asked by a company out of Charlotte uh, who was having issues with um, the business email compromises where they were getting fake requests 
that seem to be appearing to come from the CEO to the CFO or to the controller saying, oh, we need to uh, pay this vendor. Uh, here's the wire transfer, wire this money, blah, blah, blah. And, and they were getting a lot of that kind of stuff. They asked me what was going on, what could, what could they do? So I did a little research, and I went to the company's homepage and went under About Us, and there was the bios of the entire senior management team. And they were in depth. This is the person's name. This is what school they went to, wife's names, kids' names, pets' names, favorite sports, favorite teams. Um, oh, all the passwords. Exactly. Oh. So, so I ended up going back to that same team and, and pointing out their own, each of their bio pages on their own website and said, is your password on this page? Yeah. And every, oh, yeah. Every one of them said, well, yeah, but with a one at the end of it. Yeah. Okay, well, that's pretty easy to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> or it's my oldest kid's name but my youngest kid's birthday. It's like, yeah. That's... Both of which are on the page. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> one's 12, one's 10. We, we got to cover it. Some. Yep. Oh, the bios. Wow. So a, a lot of folks want to post that kind of information, you know, to, to – because people buy from people. They mm -hmm. buy on relationships. They want to know who they're buying for. They do. But you, you can overdo it. You can absolutely overshare. Wow. I didn't even thought about the bios. Yeah. But you're right. Everything's in there. We got the first street we lived on. We got our first pet's name. <laughs> Where were you born? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Wife and I have been married 34 years. Okay, that takes us back to 1986 somewhat. Let's try that. Plug that in. Yep. Mike, 1986. Boom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And these are also the things that we use for security questions. You know, for, oh, yeah. For many sites who ask you to set security questions for password recovery, these are the same questions. And here's another thing I learned. You can lie about your mother's maiden name. Your, mo <laughs> your mother's maiden name could be horse battery. Yes. They don't care. They just want something in there. Yes, as long as you remember it. Yeah, you, that's true, too. But you got to write it down. But I didn't, I didn't know that either. I guess I knew that. I never thought of it that... Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. What are they going to do? Check that? Right. To see that that's my mother's maiden name was Smith and not horse battery. <laughs> so, what kind of education can we do for our employees with regard to that one email that comes in and it looks so legit? Yes, we, we have a term for that. It's called security awareness training. And uh, that's something that we, we absolutely offer our clients. Um, there are third-party services that do it. Uh, for third-party services, uh, the world's most famous hacker, Kevin Mitnick, um, he has, that's what his business does. His business is called Know Before, and, and they do that type of training. Um, but it's, it's definitely an important thing for employees to go through. And what I have found that it, it really helps to find a way to incentivize the employees to do it because nobody wants to go sit through that class. It's just one of those, oh, I've got to do this stupid thing. I, and they don't know what they don't know. So, so they, they tend to be a bit dismissive of it. Um, the system that we use uh, introduces a score. So as you take the different classes and answer uh, the follow-up questions to make sure you understood the information, you get a score. So you can actually uh, incentivize employees and say, hey, whoever's got the best score by the end of the quarter 
is going to win some prize, is going to get free lunch, is going to get an extra vacation day or so, whatever you want to do. So, so now you might actually have some competition among your employees to see who can learn the most. Oh, man. And when people fire up new systems, same type of checks and balances need to be put in there. Yes, absolutely. Um, so specifically like the, um, the PCI DSS, that's the payment card industry, Visa, MasterCard, those guys. They have a, a bit of a consortium called P- the Payment Card Industry, PCI, who has developed a data security standard. Uh, and that data security standard specifically states that when you introduce new systems, there are processes you have to go through uh, to make sure that system meets the requirements of, of the standard. When you get an email, if I got this right, you can hover over the the address that it's coming from mm-hmm. to find out if that is fake or not. Am I yeah. saying that right? Yeah, it's, it's you should look at the from address. And you should look at it carefully because a lot of the new phishing tactics, they do things like registering an e- a email domain that is very, very similar. So uh, we're talking about changing an L to a 1, uh, things like that, so that if you don't look carefully, yeah, it looks like it came from mm-hmm. you know, Mike Manning, and, and it, it, it really didn't. Yeah. Also, in the body of the email, if there's any links... That's where you can roll the mouse over, and it should show you the actual link because what shows up in the text in blue can be different from where it actually goes. If one of those links is a potential virus or whatever they want you to click on, what would we see? If they don't match, period, be suspicious. Ah. So, I mean, why why would I tell you to click on a link to amfrontier.net, and then when you hover over it, it, it goes to someplace else. Could I do an email of at my Amazon or my Amazon at something.com? Could I grab their name and people would think, oh, let's come from Amazon. I'm already a shopper. Yes, you can send an email from any email address. There is no validation for where it comes from. It never was. Remember, the, the back in the innocent days of the internet, that, that wasn't a concern. And so a standard was developed for a way to transfer email that really wasn't, it hasn't changed much. On the recipient side, there are some controls that have been put in place over the years, um, but they're very, but they're optional, you know. Uh, common problem that I hear from people, especially small businesses say, yeah, I send email to my customers from whatever system, but it always goes to junk mail. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because they're failing some of those tests that say, that say, okay, who is allowed to send from this domain? But <clears throat> in many cases, the, there's just nothing there. Nothing is set. So the default is everyone. And even on the recipient side, when your spam filter sees this, one, you've got to have a spam filter. Two, it's got to be good enough to do the checks. Yeah. And um, three, it's, it's got to catch it. What are the two best takeaways now that you've written the book? Um, we've talked about them. Backups and uh, passwords. Okay. 
Um, <clears throat> and the third one would be training. Yeah. And we can change the backups and the passwords tomorrow. Exactly. We can at least do the best we can that we know how to at putting up some sort of firewall, just change, just dealing with those two. The bios on the website, James. Would have never thought of that, but you're right. Absolutely everything is in there. Yep. Oh, all right. People need your help. I know they do. Where, where's the best way to find you? Uh, best way to find us, go to our website, www.amfrontier.net or .com. We'll get you there, too. I've got it both. And I can be reached directly, 919-741-5468. And they work globally, folks. So no matter where you are, <laughs> they can help you. And if uh, you are in need of some mastermind group help from Trinity and I at Wired to Change, if you go to our website, Wired to Change, that's with the number two, dot com. We have our February dates for our sales and marketing mastermind, our how to get and keep a client mastermind, and systems and processes mastermind. So we appreciate uh, all the help uh, telling people what we got going on out there because we know we can help. I know James can help. Uh, if you have learned something today, folks, either you're doing something really right or you just don't care too much, but great knowledge. There's so many things we can do, simple stuff. There's so many things we can't do because I don't know your world, but I can change my dang password, right? Yeah, there's a lot of small things you can do, but it's important just to not feel, I'm small, they're not They're not after me. Yeah, they are. They're after anyone and everyone, and the ransomware numbers really show it. In 2017, it was about $2 million worth of ransomware that was collected. Last year's estimates are $20 billion. Oh. That's ransoms paid so yes the bad guys are making a ton of money they are not gonna let up wow yeah you get into those numbers that's that's a whole industry it's absolutely an industry oh man all right well james we appreciate it very much james evans with american frontier you can also get your book on, on thin ice yes it's on amazon and you can also see details at amfrontier.net slash on thin ice just one word and the proceeds go to St. Jude's. St. Jude's Foundation, yes. Another reason to buy the book, folks. So, James, we appreciate it very much. My name's Mike Manning. We'll see you next time on our Wired to Change podcast.